basically when I was in the depths of my struggle, um, I sought out stories from other people because I felt so alone. I felt like I was the only person going through the trauma and the pain of coming to terms with a mental illness. So I needed to know that there were other people out there also going through it. And when I found their stories, I felt so hopeful. Hi guys, welcome to Dancing in the Gray, a podcast and a platform that shines light on the importance of prioritizing our mental health. Regardless of whether or not you live with a mental health condition, we all have mental health. I am not a medical professional. I have a lived experience. And I believe in the power of storytelling because by sharing our personal stories and by shining our own light, we give permission for others to do the same, to feel seen, to feel heard, and in turn feel liberated. I hope you will join me on this journey as we discuss these gray areas of our lives, which can often feel so lonely and isolating. I hope these conversations plant seeds of inspiration for you to feel your best. Because when we dance confidently in the gray, the colors of life show up so much brighter. Welcome to Dancing in the Gray. I'm so excited to have you for our listeners. Jen Marshall, founder of This Is My Brave Mental Health Advocate and new friend of mine. I'm so excited to have you here today. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Thanks so much, Britt. This is so exciting to be a guest on your new podcast and thanks for inviting me. Of course. Um, You know, talk to me a bit about mental health. Like, what what does that mean for you? Tell me a bit about your story. Tell me a bit about This Is My Brave. Share whatever you may like with our listeners right now before we really dive in here. Okay, great. So um, I started This Is My Brave out of my own story. So I live with type 1 bipolar disorder. So mental health is a huge part of my life. (laughs) I was diagnosed at the age of 26. So um, have been living with this now for 15 years and have learned to manage it. And um, But basically when I was in the depths of my struggle. Um, I sought out stories from other people because I felt so alone. I felt like I was the only person going through the trauma and the pain of coming to terms with a mental illness. Um, And so I needed to know that there were other people out there also going through it. And when I found their stories, I felt so hopeful. And so I started writing a blog. Um, This was back in 2010. Um, I was a new mom and I had just wanted a way to, you know, therapeutically work through what I had gone through. So I started writing and I called the blog Bipolar Mom Life (laughs) because I you know, I felt proud of where I was with my journey. I was raising my two kids who at the time were almost one and three. um, And I was managing my condition really well. And I felt like if my story could help someone else, then I wanted to put myself out there. So I started writing and I wrote like several times a week. um, And then about a year and a half into it, but actually when I first started writing, I wrote anonymously because 
I was worried about stigma and discrimination. And so I just wrote with, with the pen name Bipolar Mom. And then um, a year and a half into my blog, an editor from a major uh, website contacted me and said, hey, we'd love what you're writing about. Will you write for us and we'll pay you? Mm. Yeah. And I was just like, yes. Um, how cool to be recognized for writing about a hard topic, you know. Was it at that moment that you then came forward and shared your identity and who you were? Yes. That's when I opened up publicly. Um, and so I, the, the first article I wrote for this column um, was picked up by AOL.com, you know, and back then, this was 2013, you know, people still went to AOL.com to check what was going on. And so it was a big deal. And um, I was flooded with emails and you know, phone calls and text messages from people saying like, thank you so much for being open with your story. Cause I know someone who also struggles or family member and it just hit home for people. Um, and so that was spring 2013 and I got the idea for a show. Um, I just felt like, you know, people were celebrating recovering from cancer and other illnesses. And I'm like, we're not talking enough about mental health, you know? And so I had this idea, like people with mental health conditions can be very creative. And I was like, why don't we do this show on stage where people talk about their mental health journey and they can do it however they want through poetry or original music or comedy or dance or anything. And um, we put the idea on Kickstarter and we were fully funded, overfunded. Um, in 31 days, we raised $10,000. For your first show. Yes. I love that. And I love what you're doing with This Is My Brave in, in providing a platform to end stigma through creative expression. I personally, in my experience, I think I talked about this on a previous episode I recorded, but I don't, I talk about it in my day-to-day life. I really see mental health conditions and, you know, my mental health conditions as a superpower. And I've changed that perspective in how I look at it, where I don't look at it at it as an illness, but as this different form of functioning. And for me, it allows me to feel really deeply and express myself in really creative ways. And I like to celebrate that. So I think it's really awesome that you're doing that with This Is My Brave. Thanks. I do too. I, and I totally agree with you. I think like over the years, at first it felt like my illness was a, um, you know, something to be concerned about. Well, it is something to be concerned about, but it was, you know, like it was a flaw or like I was broken or whatever, but like, as I've grown up with this illness and I'm 42 now, so, you know, 42 looking 22, (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) But yeah, it like after living with it for 15 years, it's um, I've now same as you, like it's my superpower. It's um, it, it makes me the super empathetic person. Um, uh, Like it just, it does stuff for you. Like when you, when you get to a place where you're in a good place with it, which takes time. And it doesn't always mean that good place with it doesn't experience challenging feelings. 
Oh, yeah. You know, I started dancing in the gray to talk about these gray spaces in our life. And a lot of times that's where, you know, we're faced with challenge around our mental health conditions. And I found out some really exciting news on March 23rd. Today is what, April 15th. And right after that, I've been in a gray period for the last few weeks. And I'm like, okay, so I'm getting to practice what I preach. Mm-hmm. Yes, I hear you. Um, but, but it definitely is dynamic and it definitely lends for moments of expansion, which I'm super appreciative of. But can you talk to me more about this gray period in your life when you mentioned being diagnosed with bipolar one and then starting your blog anonymously, you said something that I just thought was so powerful. You found so much comfort in other people's stories, mm-hmm. which is another reason why I wanted to do this, you know, cause I had moments of self-doubt. I was like, why did, th- why does there need to be another podcast? You know, there's enough noise out there. And then I'm like, no, wait, yeah. I do have something to say. And I have really great yeah. people in my life to share their story. So talk to me about your gray area and how you found comfort with the personal story? Yeah. Well, so I was new in my career. You know, I had um, started working as a recruiter for a staffing agency in Washington, D.C. And I'd worked my way up the ladder and I was in my fourth year at this agency and I was rocking and rolling and, you know, top recruiter in the agency, newly married. And um, all of a sudden my illness hit you know, and life kind of stopped. You know, it was terrifying. I had two manic episodes, two weeks apart in December of 2005. And quick pause, just, just for our listeners. And for my knowledge, did you have signs leading up to that? I did, but only looking back, you know, hindsight, Hindsight is twenty twenty. Um, at the time, we had no idea what I was going through because I didn't have any history of mental health challenges before that. So the illness hit and um, first episode came on after barely sleeping for a week. I was under a ton of stress at work and um, just put a lot of pressure on myself to be this top performer and work hard and, you know, I feel like I was working like 60 hour weeks and, and I couldn't turn my brain off and it resulted in insomnia for a week, which then culminated in a manic episode. So landed in the hospital, was given some prescription and for an antipsychotic came out and basically was like, that must've been a fluke. Like, you know, I'm fine. And I took some time off work and then I went back. Um, And when I went back to work, the stress again picked up and it was right at the holidays, um, end of the year. And I suffered another break and this time landed in the hospital on Christmas day, 2005. So it was very traumatic for my husband. It was traumatic for me, for my parents because the second time I was down visiting my parents in Florida. And um, so, you know, coming out of that, all of a sudden it was like, again, that feeling of like, I'm broken, like something is wrong. Um, I lost all my confidence. I had to take a leave of absence from work to try to start seeing a psychiatrist and a therapist and figure out medicine. And um, it was just, 
it's all consuming, you know, and, and that was a really, really dark period in my life. Um, it turned out I ended up choosing to resign from that job to focus on my mental health. And I worked through things that year with, like I said, medicine changes, trying to figure out what worked for me for my, eventually was diagnosed type one bipolar. And, um, it took the better part of a year, year and a half to land on a good medicine and to start kind of getting my life back. Um, and I have a very supportive husband and a very supportive family. So I'm very lucky, you know, very fortunate. I have access to good care through health insurance and all that. Um, but that doesn't mean it wasn't a tough struggle. It was, it was awful. Um, 2006 was one of the hardest years of my life. Um, but then once we found a good medicine, good treatment plan, I went back to work um, in a less stressful environment, still in recruiting. Um, and then I was stable for a year and my husband and I were like, let's try for kids. You know, like we always wanted a family. And the two years I was having my children, I had also suffered manic episodes. Um, four weeks postpartum after my first child, I had postpartum psychosis. And then when I was five weeks pregnant with our second child, um, I also had psychosis called antenatal psychosis, psychosis during pregnancy and had to be hospitalized. So those were all gray moments in my life, you know? And I think it's important to remember that they don't go away. You know, like you initially talked about these two manic episodes, which kind of brought an awareness, I guess you could say, to your mental health conditions. But yep. even in recovery and even doing quote unquote well still pops up. Yep. Oh, yeah. And I think it's just learning to navigate and bounce back in maybe more effective or different ways. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, after those, that was four hospitalizations within five years and, you know, and then being a new mom on top of that. And that's a lot. Um, but what happened then after that is I started finding things to, to build wellness, like total wellness, you know, like I started exercising regularly. I started eating healthier. I recognized that sleep was my number one trigger. And so I started protecting my sleep. And so like all these things started coming together for me and I um, became really strong in my recovery and wanted to become an advocate and do something to change the world. And you have, and, and you're shining a light. Look at the sign behind you on mental illness and bringing these wonderful shows to end the stigma all across the country, which is just so cool. It's been such a privilege to do this work. Like it's the people I have met through this work are just incredible. And um, some of them have become my dearest, closest friends. And it's just like, it's a, it's a movement of people. It's we're like 900 people strong across the U S and we have a branch in Australia that is run as a separate MPO, but using the same messaging and, and position and everything. So um, I just, I'm so grateful that I get to do this because I think it's so important that we talk about mental health all the time because it's such a big part of everyone's lives. It is. I always say that too. I'm like, regardless of whether or not you live with a mental health condition, we all have mental health. And it's so important that we start prioritizing it and treating it just as much as we do our physical health. Mm -hmm. Stigma. 
stigma, stigma, stigma. I was just actually speaking at the NAMI California Youth Symposium the other day and was really blown away by the youth mental health advocates and voices. Mm-hmm. And something that I fight for is ending the stigma. You just mentioned it. It's something that you fight for. And here you have 15-year-olds saying the same thing where there's shame around talking about it. And so talk to me about stigma because I know you personally not only fight for it, but work with somebody who has done a lot of research around the stigma with mental health. Yeah. um, So ever since, I guess it was 2016, we started studying our program to build an evidence base around the work of This Is My Brave. Um, And what we found in our research is that, um, and and this is across the board, there there is not enough research in mental health and in mental health stigma, but we're we're making progress. Um, but what's found is that when you know someone, the, the anti-stigma programs that are the most impactful and um, cause the most change, positive change, are those which involve uh, contact-based. So, Getting to hear the story of someone with lived experience um, is crucial in ending stigma. And so, um, you know, we're we're really proud of of the way we're doing it. We're we're getting these stories out across the country. And, and last year was a really hard year for us with the pandemic, and we had to take our live shows virtual. But we figured it out. Um, And, you know, with teens, you know, new research is coming out from the pandemic that, you know, young people are searching online for these stories. And so, um, you know, we want to have these positive representations of hope in recovery from real people out there for them to find. And that's why our work is so important. And to mention, to piggyback off that, that's why you have This Is My Brave Teens run by your wonderful Anastasia, who is the reason I have met you. And then are you starting This Is My Brave Kids as well? So that's in the works. I think it's going to be further down the line. Um, But yeah, This Is My Brave Teens and um, our college edition are big programs for us that have developed over the past two years. Um, And Anastasia has been crucial in beginning that program for us and leading our This Is My Brave Teens Instagram account. And we have our show coming up on May 23rd, which is so exciting. And um, it's like nothing we've ever done before. It's uh, filmed documentary style. So these kids are incredibly talented and they have the most amazing, inspiring stories that kids need to know and kids need to see. So we're super excited to be launching that for Mental Health Month. Yes, May, May Mental Health Awareness Month. So where can people find information on this upcoming show? On our website. So all of our events throughout the year are um, on our thisismybrave.org slash events page. So you can find all information there and and social media. We're, we're big on social media because we want to meet people where they are and young people uh, are engaged with social media. So we're on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube, all at This Is My Brave. Love that. You mentioned two things that I wanted to touch on. It was a journey for you to figure out what medicine worked for you. And then also incorporating this 
the importance of sleep and this more holistic perspective of wellness with what you're eating and just basically everything you're taking in. Something that I really want to stress to everybody listening to this is that recovery is not linear. Yes. And, you know, I think it's so important to have the acceptance and awareness of, you know, what you're living with and what you're experiencing, but then navigating that process. People don't always mention that. It can take a while. It took me two years to figure out what works for me. And I'm laughing now, but like that was not an easy two years. No. And that's really short compared to, I think like the average person, it took me five years, you know, to get to a really good place. And you know, there's no shame in how long it takes to get to a good place. And then you're still going to have bumps in the road, you know, like I've had setbacks. I'm the co-founder of my organization passed away suddenly um, in 2017. And I had my fifth manic episode and I had to get back on track after that. And I was very open and vocal about that, that experience and the year and, and, and everything, because you, I think we need to show that nonlinear journey um, because this is a lifelong condition that has no cure and you have to adapt and you have to learn to manage it. And that's what I'm doing. I love that. Also, what are your positive coping strategies? What does that mental health toolkit look like for you? Your wellness plan, I guess you could say. Yeah, I love that you called it a mental health toolkit because I totally believe that's a great analogy. Um, so I do, I love exercise. Okay, I, I have to admit, I don't love exercise. I'm lying. Um, I love the feeling of having exercised. <laughs> Yes, yes, that post, (laughs) that post feeling, maybe not necessarily in the moment, but then afterwards when the endorphins are running and you're like, yes. (laughs) I love the glow of having just done a cycle class or like a yoga class or, um, you know, taking a great walk. So my, my toolkit is full of different things, but exercise, whatever I feel up to, um, I love to watercolor which I just got into during the pandemic and I haven't done it in a while, but I really enjoy it. Um, I love to read. Um, I don't know. I just, you build your toolkit as you go and you put in things that help you that you can, you know, pick and choose what works for you in that moment. And navigating that that may change. Yes. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. Recently, well, as I've been doing this, I've found I like to bring a word or a series of words, um, not planned, just, you know, what I felt inspired by prior to our conversation. And the word that I thought of with you was hope. Oh, I love that. I can talk to you about hope. I have it tattooed on my arm. Oh my gosh, I didn't know that. (laughs) I love that. Thank you. Um, So hope to me. Um, stands for hold on pain ends um, because that's been true in my journey. Did you come up with that? No, 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 no. That was out there and I saw it and I'm like, I want that on my arm. So I was in LA and my friend found this awesome artist and we went in and Julian tattooed it on my arm. And um, it's just a constant reminder that there are going to be painful moments in our lives and we're going to get through it. And I don't know. <laughs> I felt that that was really special and also synchronistic. I did not know that. <laughs> That's so cool. 
Now, I know you mentioned the the upcoming show. Is there anything else that we should keep on our radar for you and for This Is My Brave? Yes. So we have a documentary coming out this fall in October. Um, It's in collaboration with WETA, which is the PBS station here in the DC area. So it will be released in October. We don't have the actual date yet, but uh, on their website, wellbeings.org. So we're really looking forward to that. Also, a lot of things in the works for Mental Health Month. We're just doing like a big campaign of digital live streaming little programs and stuff. So we're excited about that. Awesome. And last but not least, your coffee order. I know it's the afternoon for you, but what is the coffee order? Drinking water right now. Oh, I love that. I guess we could say get your water, get your day. No, I love that you have that as your tagline. Um, I just like regular drip coffee. I'm kind of boring, but... uh, it's my first my first go-to. When I wake up super early, it's the drip all the way. Yeah. I don't get the latte till later in the day. It's like my my 10 a.m. luxury, I guess you could say. There you go. Well, Jen, thank you so, so much for hopping on here, for sharing your story, for helping us end the stigma and dance confidently in the gray together because I really believe in shining a light on what you are doing will allow other people to have that same freedom as well. So I hope you have a beautiful day. And as always, get your coffee, get your day. Cheers. (laughs) Thanks, Britt, for having me. Hi, friends. Thank you for tuning in. If you liked what you heard today, I ask that you pass this message and episode along to one other person. Leave a review and rate us if you feel inspired to do so. And I look forward to seeing you on the next episode of Dancing in the Gray. Don't forget, when we dance confidently in the gray, the colors of life show up so much brighter.